This is the episode in which we talk about the boys entering anarchistic states towards internal excellence, boys. That's right, the Beastie Boys, that acronym, which you'll learn about on this episode as well as some other fantastic tidbits, as well as our thoughts and deep dive into undoubtedly one of Jordan and my favorite bands, And you're going to hear about our absolute love for what we think is the most iconic rap band of all time. Come along with us on this journey for the Beastie Boys. Let's go. Four and three and two and one. What up? And when I'm on the mic, the suckers run. Word. Only the illest. No, that's a track from 1986's The New Style from the Beastie Boys debut album, Licensed to Ill. That's the song. This is Sounds Good to Us. I'm Gregory Hill. And I'm Jordan Stone. In today's episode, Jordan and I will be doing a deep dive into one of our all-time favorite bands, the Beastie Boys. This is the second Beastie Boys episode we've ever done, so that'll tell you how much we care about them. We'll discuss their legacy, some personal stories, and of course, create a playlist of our favorite songs to get you started or to get to back into them. So let's just get into it, Jordan. Let's just dispense with the tomfoolery. Let's not fuck around. First off, tell me... Some bold statements. Tell me some things that you think about the Beastie Boys, you know, just sort of at a high level. You want to be controversial. You want to be memorable. Kick us off here. Let's do it. Greg, I think you agree with me on this. The Beastie Boys are one of our favorite bands. We share that together. We share the Beastie Boys as top three, top five, somewhere in that range of favorite bands of all time for both of us. So this isn't just a normal episode for us. This is not just picking an artist at random and doing an episode on the podcast. We really love this group. So you're going to hear that a lot in this episode. That's just kind of a warning for what you're about to hear. So let me kick it off. The Beasties are the most multi-talented rap group of all time. What percentage of people know that the Beasties are an actual band, that they play instruments? It's not common for a straightforward hip-hop group to play instruments on stage together. What I mean by that is the three of them, they're MCs. They have microphones in their hands. And a lot of the songs, they're not playing instruments. They're rapping. They're walking around the stage. They're mixing together. And then they will pull out instruments and completely do a song that's all instruments. There's just not a lot of of rap groups that do that. Next up here is Paul's Boutique gets a lot of hype and critical acclaim for a reason. And License to Ill, although being a great album, is mocked. The mocking of License to Ill has a lot to do with the time and their fame. And again, I'll tell you that in the next section of the episode here. But the way that they were marketed really hurt them with License to Ill. They were marketed as a joke, kind of like they weren't being serious, and so no one took them seriously. So here's what I'm going to say. Here's where I'm going with this, Greg. License to Ill is the best rap album of all time. Mm, That's a bold statement. That's obviously my opinion, but there is no rap album, in my opinion, that's as complete as License to Ill, track Mm. by track. We've talked about great hip-hop albums on this podcast. Kendrick Lamar comes to mind. They all have skips. And here's the thing. I count skits as skips. It's weird to say. 
skits, right? Where just people are just talking on the track and it's not mm-hmm. actual music. So when you put on License to Ill, there's no skips. It's nine out of 10 better for every single track. Nine is the floor of this entire album. Paul Revere, a song on the album, is maybe the best story put to hip hop bars. What do you think about my statement here? I didn't warn you about this one, Greg, that License to Ill is the best rap album of all time. I don't agree with you. And only because a lot of times we talk about this when it comes to arguing across generational dynamics. I I, I think it's very difficult to think that that album has held up over time. You you sort of alluded to some of the controversy and feelings around the album. So I, I don't think it's held up incredibly well. I think its legacy obviously was big, but I would still point to an album like The Chronic from a similar time period that had arguably a much greater legacy on hip hop overall. And obviously, I'm a huge Beastie Boys fan, so I want to answer yes. I want to agree with you. I don't think I do. I mean, I think I would say if you're thinking about Chronic, even Doggy Style, I would put on top of uh, License to Ill. I would put probably Good Kid Mad City above License to Ill. So yeah, you kind of put me on the spot. It's it's hard to form an argument about it, but I th- my gut tells me that it's not the best, but it is on the pantheon of albums. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I'm in the minority here. Hip hop heads wouldn't agree with me. Most Beastie Boys fans probably wouldn't agree with me. So I understand, and you're in the majority on this one. So I understand it's a bit of a crazy bold statement. My last bold statement of the evening. The Beastie Boys, all three of them, Ad Rock, MCA, and Mike D, are all in their own right top 20 rappers of all time. I think because they're in a group and there's three of them, we don't think about it that way. I've never seen one of them on any top rappers list I've ever seen, whether it's Rolling Stone or a random guy on Twitter. I have never seen Ad Rock, MCA, or Mike D on one of those lists. It's unfair because it's a group of three people that we can't split them out and no one does that. If there's anything that I think the Beastie Boys are underappreciated for, it's that each of them doesn't get the individual respect they deserve. They're seen as a packaged unit, which is fair. But they get that respect as a group, and they are fully respected and not underappreciated as a group, and that's what is important. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the Beastie Boys, I mean, notably, I don't think a single one of them ever released a record as a solo artist. I don't think so. Obviously, we'll talk about Nathaniel Hornblower and the (laughs) the art of MCA, and, and obviously, you know, Mike D has been, not Mike D., Ad Rock, that's even part of the problem, right? It's like hard to keep them straight yeah, it, sometimes. It's yeah. like a massive fan. Ad Rock has been a actor in, in legitimate Hollywood movies. And so each of them has their own thing, but I don't know if this has been intentional or they just never felt like they could do it, but none of them ever reached out on their own. Notably, obviously, other groups like Outcast and all of Wu-Tang and all of, you know, even A Tribe Called Quest. I mean, these are all bands that release music as solo artists. And so whether that's because, for whatever reason, it's just in my mind, they always have to complement each other. So I, I think that that's part of the reason. Like I think the names, they, they have a marketing problem as solo artists. They never reached out on their own. So it's difficult to untangle who's doing what. But they just, as far as a group goes, they sort of belong as a group. So I think that's part of the problem. That's why I think you don't hear people talking about them as individuals. But 
yeah, I think they belong in the conversation. Whether or not all three of them do, I think you would have to really sit down and be like, okay, what is Ad-Rock bringing to the table? What is MCA doing to the table? What is Mike D doing to the table? They do have very different styles that work well together. I'm trying to think who I would like not include in the top. Who's the worst? So maybe this is my question back to you. Who's the worst vocalist of the three? It's like uh, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant to me. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. which one of them is the worst. Mm-hmm. I, there's almost no answer. I think if they're all even, honestly, okay. for me. What about you? If I had to kick, like, if I had to say which one wouldn't be included, it, it would be between Ad Rock and Mike D. I think Ad Rock and Mike D are the most interchangeable. I think a lot of people, especially if you consume a lot of Beastie Boys content, we're going to talk about the book, which is fantastic. Like, if there, if you do one thing after listening to this episode, go listen to or watch. Sorry, go listen to or read the Beastie Boys book, or you can also watch the documentary, which is practically the same thing that was directed by Spike Jones that was on Apple Plus. But I think it probably would be Mike D that I would not include. That's an interesting answer because I'm curious your thoughts on this. To me, Mike D is the lead of the Beastie Boys. Do you see really? it that way? Yeah. No, I mean I've always seen Ad Rock as the as the lead. I mean I, I think for some reason. I don't know what it is about my fandom being a fan for 30 years now, whatever the math mm-hmm. is. I've always in my head for as a fan, I've never yeah. read this anywhere. Or I've always seen Mike D as the lead. Interesting. Of boys. Yeah. I don't know why. I really I don't know why. I think it's a circle situation, not a triangle. You know what I mean? Like instead of there being a point at each, like it's hard to tell where it stop, starts and where it stops. I mean, I think MCA is the artistic heart of the band. Yeah, I, Ad Rock and MCA are introverts. Yeah, and which Mike is funny D now is because extrovert. they're, you know, it's sort of a legacy tour over the last couple of years where they're like getting the book out and telling the story. But yeah, I mean, I think M- MCA is the heart. I think Ad Rock is the brain and Mike D is... You know, I, I, MCA is the soul, Ad Rock's the brain, and, and I don't know what Mike D is. Mike D is the marketer, the, the mm-hmm. out front. Then that's why I see it that way, is he's the outgoing. He's a libido. Front, yeah, it's like front and center. He's a front and center kind of guy to me. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I mean, I as far as bold statements go, I mean, I think this is probably not I'm a bold statements kind of guy, but like, I think a couple things that I want to point out here on my end is, number one, is, as Jordan alluded to earlier, this is my favorite band of all time. It's the band that I had the longest relationship with. I was introduced to them by my older siblings who were much older than me. So I was hearing Beastie Boys coming out of my sister's room when I was very little. She would play it in the car when she was driving me around. The tapes were always sitting around, especially the License to Ill. I remember seeing that tape and really just being sort of mesmerized by the cover and opening it up. I can't think of another band that I've been with longer. I mean, there's obviously my parents' music, you know, the music that I got into there. We're talking about things like The Animals. We're we're talking about a lot of country music, Paul Simon, Otis Redding, like the bands that I grew up listening to, but those are my parents' bands. This was sort of the first young band, but I, they never felt like they were mine. And uh, we'll say later until Ill Communication came out, but this is my favorite band of all time. I do not, though, believe that they're the best rap group of all time. I think Outkast is the best rap group of all time. There are not a ton of rap groups to really compare here. Most rappers are solo artists that collaborate with everyone else and so there's like always these moving affiliations that rappers have usually connect to their label or connect to their geography but i I do think that outcast is the best group uh, of all time i do think that the beastie boys have the best vocal chemistry of any other band in history of music 
They are so synergized is the word that I would use. And it's something that is very, very special, which is why now with, with only two of them, you, you, you don't have that anymore and they don't make music anymore. And I assume that they never will. I mean, I don't see a world in which they could bring in someone to replace they MCA not. and I, I, it would ruin it. And I think they yeah. know that. And so that's why I think they're focused a lot on telling the Beastie Boys story. I do think they're also one of the most iconic bands in music history. I think the Beastie Boys belong on the Mount Rushmore of American music. We're talking about the formation of genres and key points in the development of a genre. I think the Beastie Boys are America's Beatles. Maybe that is a hot take, bold statement. You know, most people would bring up in that conversation, they would say things like Beach the Boys. Beach Boys or bands from the 60s. But I think the Beastie Boys are America's response to the Beatles. It just came 20 years later. The way they think about music production, the way, honestly, they steal from music forms from other people and make them their own and bring them to audiences that would not have heard those musical forms. But I, I, I do think they are iconic of iconic of iconic. What do you think about that statement? Yeah, it, it's, it, is, it is a little out there. No offense. <laughs> Um, but this is called bold statements for a reason. I'm trying to be. It, it's not called statements or like, yeah. oh, we're just yeah. going to be uh, boring here and in the middle. These are marginal statements. No, they're bold statements. So I, I like it. I see where you're going with it. Yeah, I'm okay with it. You know, just trying to put the content out there for the people. My last thing to bring it home is I think they're the best music video band of all time, especially for artists that come at this time period with MTV having now grown enough traction to which everyone is watching it. Obviously, throughout the early 80s into the mid-80s, it's still something that not everyone knows about. It's not on every cable provider. It's not something that every single teenager has. By the end of the 80s, the music video is the dominant form in music. It is the way to market yourself. It is the way to generate buzz. It is the way to get people excited about your band and what you think about your band. And the Beastie Boys as a whole have, I believe, better music videos than others. That's, I think, for two reasons. Number one is their friendship with Spike Jones, their continued collaborations with Spike Jones make their music videos a little more high-minded, a little bit more artistic. Secondly, over the course of the development of the band, MCA, who went as a director by Nathaniel Hornblower, which was a complete, like, side personality that he crafted who directed the music videos. Obviously, it's MCA directing the music videos, but as Nathaniel Hornblower, so much so that he would accept awards for their music videos as Nathaniel Hornblower. He became very interested in music videos. He became very interested in video in general and film in general. The way that they thought about storytelling and video, the way that they presented themselves, even the production of the early videos was interesting, where they would just do it guerrilla style. They would literally just drive around, hop out, record part of, of it, get back in a, in a van, drive somewhere else, and then they would stitch all of that together. It's almost like an early TikTok style of video making, but just obviously in the late 80s. So I think they're the best music video band of all time. What do you think? Yeah, I, I can't disagree. When If someone were to say, name three music videos, go off the top of your head. Intergalactic is yep. one of the first two or three that I name. Yep. If you don't believe the statement Greg just made, go watch the Intergalactic music video. When that That's came awesome. out in 1998, everything mm -hmm. changed. I, it was just mm -hmm. like, what the fuck is this? The, the song is spectacular. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like that song, just the sound of it, just the audio, right? The, the sonic quality, but... 
The music video is perfect for the song. It shows how great the Beastie Boys are. I want to actually go back to one of your comments about the Beastie Boys being in lockstep, that their vocals, right? Mm -hmm. Every song they have, they sound like they're one person. Mm -hmm. That It's how intertwined they are. It's how perfect they are together. And I'll give you an example here. There are no harmonies in mm-hmm. hip hop that uh, there might be some out there. I've never heard them, but bone thugs har- and har- harmony with beg to disagree. Fair, fair enough. All right. So bone <laughs> thugs. And harmony. Um, there are no harmonies in hip hop. Really? If there were harmonies in hip hop, the beastie boys would be the best. Yeah. I mean, the intergalactic video is awesome. Sabotage. So what you want, make some noise. Sure shot. Yeah. Hey ladies fight for your right to party. Obviously it's an iconic video, but yeah. So, the videos themselves are great, and I agree that just the integration and synergy of the Beastie Boys is special. They were friends from a very young age, making music together, and even though they went through a lot of sort of trials and tribulations to end up the band they ended up, and you know, we, you're going to talk about seeing them live. I mean, it's just watching them live. It just looks like three friends, and they're at the top of their game doing it. So that was my next comment: is it's three friends who seemingly never had creative differences. Mm-hmm. And do their own thing after one album. I've never heard of that. And all the way up until the Beastie Boys story on Apple Plus, which is a documentary on the Beastie Boys that I cannot recommend more. You've got two of them up there on stage and they still have the chemistry. They're best friends. They're laughing. They're joking. And it's just amazing to see, you know, 30, 40 years later. And yeah, they're just, they're, they're a band that should be celebrated. And I'm glad we're doing it today. Oh, yeah. Well, Jordan, if, if someone said the word fun facts and I was asked to do a, a, a free association, my response would be Jordan because Jordan is a big fan of fun facts. He's a regular encyclopedia of fun fact information. So as a tribute to the Beastie Boys, you're going to drop some fun facts on us and then we'll get into the into the playlist. So Jordan, unleash upon us your encyclopedic knowledge of the Beastie Boys. Thank you, Greg. Who doesn't love fun facts? Let's give the people what they want. So in lieu of doing an artist background... Let's do fun facts about the first four to five years of the Beastie Boys career. I'm starting and only doing that here because it's it's a great Genesis story and you really need to know the background here. So it all started with License to Ill in 1986. The Beastie Boys were effectively an overnight success. They were thrown into fame by Russell Simmons, who was the head of Def Jam. Very famous. Look him up responsible for a lot of big artists in the 80s. Russell saw dollar signs with the Beastie Boys. He immediately pushes them out on tour with Madonna and Run DMC. This was not some band that had been touring for years and had built a huge fan base. They effectively were nobodies and came out of nowhere. And suddenly they're on tour with two of the biggest artists in music. The Beastie Boys were sensations for one to two years from about 1986 to 1988 license to ill was the first number one rap album ever but they became labeled as one hit wonders with fight for your right to party which we all know rolling stone titled their license to ill review three idiots create a masterpiece Love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> After touring, they realized they didn't like the spotlight. Uh, there were other problems, including not getting paid royalties for their music, which is obviously a huge problem. They straight up leave Def Jam after one album. I've been in the music business for 20 years. I've never heard of that. I'm not even sure how they did it, but they did it. They go out on their own and they make 
their follow-up album, Paul's Boutique, with no label, no budget. All tracks were recorded in producer Mike Dyke's living room, except the song Hello Brooklyn. And it's still one of the most respected albums in rap today. It's been called the Sgt. Peppers and Dark Side of the Moon of hip-hop. It has samples. It features the most samples at the time of any album ever recorded. It samples the, the Beatles song, The End, from Abbey Road, and the song, The Sounds of Science. The Beatles sued the Beastie Boys for this sample. Mike D is quoted as saying, what's cooler than getting sued by the Beatles? <laughs> Which is a great question. I love it. Chuck D, a public enemy who is one of the most respected people in hip-hop history, was quoted as saying that the dirty secret among the hip-hop community at the time of release was that Paul's Boutique had the best beats. And again, if you want to learn more about this story, is that Beastie Boys story documentary on Apple Plus. Please go watch it. You'll learn much more about their fascinating story. And that is it for the fun facts. I had fun. Let's get into the playlist. So most episodes, you know, Jordan and I sort of the way we interact with each other in normal life is basically just top 10 lists and playlists and NFL comps. I don't think we've actually in 21 years of friendship ever had a real conversation. It's always packaged in one of those three things. But we've yeah. covered a lot of ground. I mean, you know, life, death, everything in the form of top 10 list playlists and nfl comps but so what we're going to pull out here is just pretty simple we want to craft what we believe to be the best beastie boys playlist that has ever existed how we define that is sort of up to us personally you know obviously we want to put songs on this playlist that showcase who the beastie boys are there's going to be some popular some deeper tracks but other than that, pretty much no rules. You can find not only this playlist, but every playlist that we've created a part of every single one of the 33 episodes that we've done on soundsgoodtous.com. And so, yeah, let's just get into it, Jordan. What is the first track that's going to open up our Essential Beastie Boys playlist? All right. First of all, for my five songs on this playlist, I picked one song from each of their first five albums just to spread out a bit. You did the same too, right, Greg? I did, yeah. I, I think, think that's so, the way yeah. to do it. Awesome. Yep. Next, we don't typically choose hits for the artist playlist. I wanted to call this out. You've heard the hits. We don't need to play them for you again. And we wanted to show you something new, songs you haven't heard maybe. And here's what I'll say though. Songs like Intergalactic and Sabotage are without a doubt objectively the Beastie's best songs. They should be on the playlist. In fact, we'll probably just put them on there because why not? Yeah. But these 10 specific songs are our favorites. So I'm going to kick it off with what is my personal favorite BC song. This song was my childhood, sitting in my room in the 90s as a kid, listening to License to Ill. It's the new style from 1986's License to Ill. Four and three and two and one. And when I'm on the mic, the suckers run. Word. This is one of those songs that the second you press play on it, you know it's going to be fucking awesome. It starts off with an on-the-cool check-in, a stage on the mic, and we putting it on wax. It's the new style. And on the cool check-in, a stage on the mic, and we putting it on wax. It's the new style. This is the perfect hip-hop song for me. Every line is amazing. It's simple. It's classic. When I think classic rock, the first song that comes to mind is Stairway to Heaven. 
when I think classic hip hop, the first song that comes to mind is the new style. I love that comparison. <laughs> it's the quintessential Beastie song for me. And if you don't like this song, you won't like the Beastie Boys. And uh, you can just turn the podcast off now and we'll see you next episode. Thanks. See you later. Bye. And we're back. Uh, so track number two. Yeah, of course, you did that right before I'm going to talk. You know, <laughs> engagement just dropped off. Yeah, I mean, I chose similarly, I chose from the first five albums, although that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to their most recent albums. Beastie Boys are interesting because over the course of a very long career, relative to how long they were a band, they didn't release a ton of albums. You compare that to bands that are releasing one album a year, sometimes multiple albums a year, you know, but so they were very intentional with the with the albums that they produced. When they released an album, it was a big deal all the way up until the mid 2000s. So for me, I went in order as well and, and just chose songs that I think best reflect what the Beastie Boys were trying to do as a band. And starting with my first choice, Ryman and Steelin from 1986's Licensed to Ill. It's a great opening to what is undoubtedly, as Jordan mentioned before, an iconic album. Uh, this is the Beastie Boys debut. This is the first song on License to Ill, and it opens up License to Ill in a really exciting way. What I say that is because there's hallmarks to Beastie's music, which is sort of this mixture between live music. They were originally, as Jordan mentioned before, a live sort of underground hardcore punk band in New York City in the early 1980s listening to all of this music that's coming from just sort of the cacophony of the New York scene. And they're putting it all together and deciding to become a rap band over becoming a hardcore band. And this song reflects this that moment in their career where they still want live music, right? So the guitar that you hear in the background of the song is played by Rick Rubin, actually, who is, by all accounts, a, a pretty excellent guitarist. But you hear that guitar, but then you also hear a ton of samples. And so that interplay between a live instrument with a ton of sampling from, you know, 70s, 80s, like funk and soul and R&B music comes up with this song, Rhyming and Stealing, that almost sounds like a rock song, similar to Fight for Your Right to Party, but also has great beats and also has great bars. So I love this song. It's my probably my favorite song on Licensed Ill besides the hits, which obviously they're popular for a reason. It's hard to hate songs like Paul Revere and Fight for Your Right to Party, but this is probably like my personal favorite song in the album. And I will say that the part where they go, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, thieves. is maybe my, yeah, it's fucking awesome. Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. You started doing it just thinking about it. It's probably one of my favorite moments in any song in music history. And I was trying to like riff off the cuff of what my favorite ones are. I mean, Nicki Minaj's verse on Monster, this, the the opening to Seven Nation Army, you know, the like there, there's a bop. It, obviously there's there are moments in songs not entire songs not entire verse like necessarily but there are moments in songs that are just iconic and, and that alibaba and the 40 thieves chant is just so just infectious and it gets you in a mood and it makes you want to have fun and i so i i love robin and stealing next track i'm doing something i haven't done on the podcast i'm picking a song simply for the second half of the song <laughs> 
the first half of this fucking song is a five out of ten. I mean, it's 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 okay. It's just weird. It's just it's it's I don't understand it. The second half though is a ten out of ten. The song is "The Sounds of Science" from 1989's Paul's Boutique. Time and money for girls covered with honey. Till I aspire to be as cunning, feeling a rock and roll a B-size D cup. Order the quarter deluxe. Why don't you wake up? My mind is kind of blowing like an oil projector. How'd you get up? You get the Jimmy projector. Went to surf and work and exploding. She woke up in the morning and her face. All right, so we have an episode on Paul's Boutique. You can go listen to that one from earlier this year. I called out this song on that episode. And the end of this song specifically, and the last 60 seconds as the best 60 seconds in the entire catalog of the Beastie Boys. And I stand by that. You just heard it in the clip there. The first couple minutes of this song is like a TV jingle or a kid's song. It's almost like they're trolling you to see how long you'll listen. Here we go, jumping science, jumping it all over. Like bumping around the town like when you're driving a Range Rover. Expanding the horizon. You know, like it's like the song is starting off. Like, is the person going to hit pause? Are they going to keep going? This is back, you know, it's a CD at that time or tape probably at this time. And then they finally start rapping at the one minute and 39 second mark. The song then completely changes and they start going hard, which you just heard. And Greg, I have a bonus story, a bonus fun fact today. All for right. Us, and it comes from a listener. We received this in an email from a listener after he listened to our Paul's Boutique episode. We called out the first track on the album to all the girls. It's track number one on that album. And we were like, this song's not very good. We don't understand what's going on here. It doesn't sound like the Beastie Boys. We've always skipped it. It's slow. It's jazz. Like It doesn't make any sense. They put it as the first track on the album. And the reason they did that was to troll fans and critics. Evidently, they had this running joke that the album wouldn't be rap. So everyone was afraid that the Beastie Boys had given up on hip hop. So they played the long game on that joke. And they went as far as making the first track of their album a joke. So you hit play on your tape or your CD, it starts playing to all the girls and everyone was like, oh no, they're not <laughs> rap anymore. They're jazz or they're whatever. And then it this, goes, al this album was a commercial flop. <laughs> exactly. Just, just yeah. like <laughs> and in those who know, it, it, it doesn't last very long and it goes straight into Shake Your Rump. Which is completely different. It's it's a classic Beastie Boys rap song that everyone loves. So that is my fun Paul's Boutique story. I love it. I think it also highlights why the Beastie Boys are who they are is because of choices like that. They had pretty much creative control, complete creative control. As a mainstream popular group, that is yeah. not necessarily something that most artists enjoy. For sure. 
even to the point where they would put a song like that on a on their second album after divorcing from Def Jam, coming out having to win off of that and doing it as a joke. I mean, it's just that's sort of who the Beastie yep. Boys are, and that's why you get a lot of the complexity and the and the art of the Beastie Boys music. But you also get songs like "To All the Girls." They're humoring themselves for the most part. So my my next track is Shadrach from 1989's Paul's Boutique. <laughs> Jordan alluded to earlier, we did an early episode on this album a few months ago. Go back and listen to it. We deep dive much more into Paul's Boutique of an album. It's kind of the hipster's choice to say that Paul's Boutique is your favorite Beastie Boys album. I think, number one, because it was a commercial flop when it came out. It is a very difficult album to listen to, sonically speaking, because there's so much going on. This is a, if you're a beer drinker, the difference between drinking, you know, a lager, like a Bud Light, you know, smooth and easy drinking versus like an imperial stout that has been aged in a bourbon barrel and and there's vanilla in it. I mean, it's just like the notes and like the taste is so much more complex. You're not going to drink a lot of them. You're not going to be able to be doing other things while you're drinking it. You have to think about it to really enjoy it. And that's how Paul's Boutique is. This, The richness of the samples that they use and the production of this album make it one of the most influential hip-hop albums of all time, especially in early days where the form is still trying to understand how to position itself. And obviously, the Beastie Boys did not invent sampling, but the sort of way that they use sampling as an instrument was very influential to other rappers and to producers. This is an album that you literally couldn't make today because of the volume of the samples would make it so expensive. As Jordan said earlier, they got sued. This basically was like a one and done concept. The music industry was like, okay, yeah. this is never happening again. So from now on, if you're going to use samples, you have to pay for them. This was them doing something that people were doing in the underground scene already. But once it got put into commercial and lawyers got involved, it became impossible to sample so you couldn't make an album like this today with like hundreds and hundreds of samples it has on it and I, I the reason i chose shadrach not only do i like this song but i think it's just it's a really good example of the way they use samples in paul's boutique right we talked about there are obviously are samples in license to ill but there's still like there's a lot of guitar and it's a little bit more musicality forward facing with live instruments paul's boutique is just a mishmash of samples and the entire thing is just sample after sample after sample and then you get a lot of songs from the 70s and 80s sort of records that they were collecting you hear a sample from funky drummer by james uh brown it came out in 1969 you hear a, a sample of sugar hill groove by the sugar hell gang so they're like referencing within rap you have trouble frunk you have funky four plus one ball and jack rose royce sly and the family stones so you just get all of these really amazing songs sampled into shadrach and used as an instrument rather than just sort of someone hitting play, playing part of the song and then moving on. This is like really interweaves all of these different beats into a way that makes it really great. Next up is my second favorite Beastie song, Professor Booty from 1992's Check Your Head. You got, you got, you got, you got, you got, you got the booming system, but it's lasting out, dude. Do you think it's chuck a bill, but it's water down you? I remember as a kid in the mid 90s seeing the cover art for Check Your Head. And that was the first moment I wanted to be a Beastie Boy. It's in black and white. 
they're wearing beanies. They're wearing Adidas. So the, those Adidas that were really cool in the '90s with you know three stripes, like black and with the white three stripes. Uh, hoodies. They've got guitar cases for some reason. You know, they're obviously they're they're musicians, but they're rappers. And I was just like, "Yep, that's that's who I want to be. That's what I want." And check your head is the album for big Beastie Boys fans. It's not for really for the general public. It didn't have any real hits on it. It's not critically acclaimed, especially not like Paul's Boutique. And Professor Booty is a deep track, and it's my favorite on that album. Only 4.6 million plays on Spotify, which for a mainstream band is not that much. So check out Professor Booty and give Check Your Head a try if you haven't listened to it all the way through. Love it. Yeah, I think, and I'm going to get into this in my choice, but I think Check Your Head is my favorite Beastie Boys album. And I think it is the most Beastie Boys album. And from that same album, I chose the Maestro from 1992's Check Your Head. This, like you said, is sort of a forgotten about Beastie Boys album. You have, obviously... License to ill. If you if you're if you close your eyes and you're sort of a normie, not a Beastie Boys fan, and you're like, all right, License to Ill, got that. I, I I'm aware of Paul's boutique, and then there's like darkness, and then there's like sabotage, and then there's intergalactic, and that's yep. it, right? This comes from that. I think what outsiders would see as sort of a fallow period for the band, but I think this is their best album because they got right what they try to do on License to Ill and what they try to do in Paul's Boutique and brought both of those approaches together into a single yeah. album. It's sort of this moment in which, you know, number one, they played all their own instruments. They started the album's concept as basically like a, a rock album. Like not, not rock necessarily in music, but as a band. They weren't expecting to rap as much as they you know eventually ended up on the, on, on the album. They just wanted to play a bunch of music together live as friends and and kind of get over the disappointment that was Paul's Boutique commercially. And because of that, I think they were much freer from other people's expectations than they were on the previous two albums. This song also incidentally, and part of the reason why I chose it is because probably a lot of people are at least more familiar with this song and check your head because it was featured in like a really pivotal moment in the last dance, that documentary last year that came out about the nineties bulls. They, like I said, they played all their own instruments from the album. And this sounds like sort of a hybrid between, between Paul's boutique and license to ill. The opening to this song is a answering machine message that was left by Alan Sylvie. He was calling the phone number for Paul's boutique. If you if you know the song "Ask for Janice," there's a, there's yeah. a song or a phone number. So this guy Alan Sylvie called that phone number and left the message that's in the beginning of the song, which is which is funny. He claimed that the band actually contacted him later and asked for permission to use it, which I guess is good. The maestro obviously could be the person who conducts an orchestra or a person who is great with music, as there are classical connotations. This is actually, though, uh, a reference to a guitar effects pedal. At this point, the Beasties were just going around L.A. They'd moved out to L.A. They had this house that they were renting. They had, I think at this point, they had already built their studio where they were just basically skateboarding and playing music live with their friends and videotaping a lot of shit. 
but they were also still collecting a lot of both records to use as samples, but then also pretty much any obscure equipment that they could find, like a lot of pedals and a lot of that kind of stuff. And, and so this is an homage to a pedal that they used on the recording of the album. That's awesome. I did not know that. Next up is three MCs and one DJ. We be getting down with no delay. Wait, actually, I'll just, I'll just stop. The actual song is called Three MCs and One DJ from 1998's Hello Nasty. My name's Mike Dean, I'm the lady's choice. I want to get next to you like Rose Royce. Royce. You all gather around, I hear my golden voice. So when it's time to run, you know what get noise. Cruising like a fanboy on the glade. He'll tweak your ass across the cross lane. Greg and I saw the Beasties live in the mid-2000s in Atlanta, and it was really hard to see the Beastie Boys live. They did not play a lot of concerts, especially compared to other artists, so seeing them live was really special. It was one of the best concerts of my life. Easily top three. Greg, I know you agree with that. Yeah, number one for me. Yeah, and so I have two vivid memories of that concert which was over 16 years ago this is really what sticks out in my mind and one was sabotage which was incredible watching them come out as a rock band effectively and playing sabotage i can if i close my eyes i can see them playing that song and it was just insane and the next was three mcs and one dj the main reason for that is it's it's one of my favorite beastie songs so i was excited to hear it i really wanted to see them perform it it was just also a memorable performance. And if I close my eyes, I can see that one too. YouTube, three MCs and one DJ live. And just check out that first result. They're wearing like red jumpsuits. And you'll see it's from around that same time period. It's a really fun song live. And you'll see how well they really have that chemistry together. And the way that they perform on stage. And you'll, you'll get the idea of what Greg and I are talking about here. Yeah, that just to touch on the the concert, like Jordan said, I think that tour they they played in like Tokyo, New York, Chicago, L.A., and Atlanta. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And they hadn't toured in a while, and some of this is from memory, so I don't know how much you know all of this is true, but it is undoubtedly true that they were not touring very much at this point. And you know, obviously, looking back on it, there weren't many other chances to see them live because. They're not all living anymore. So that was very special. We drove from Nashville to Atlanta. I think we made it down in like two and a half hours. We were so excited. I think you made it back in like an hour and a half with the time change because there were, you know, just like it was really late. This is from Nashville for those who don't know where we live. Yeah, it's like a, what, three and a half, four hour drive. (laughs) And so we drove down, you know, we're in college. I think it it was actually around this time. It was in October. I think it was around your birthday. I remember us having the conversation, should we dress up like Beastie Boys to go to the Beastie Boys concert? And, you know, it's weird, the kind of details that stick out. But then we went to the concert and it was the best concert I've ever been to by far. That that moment in which they played as their second encore sabotage, Uh, it, it, it was unlike anything else I've ever seen. I'm glad you called that story out. My next song is Get It Together from 1994's Ill Communication. The main reason I chose this song, other than the fact that I love this song, is that it features Q-Tip. And, and if you don't know who Q-Tip is, Q-Tip was a part of Tribe Called Quest, one of the best and most important hip-hop groups in history. He was a sort of favorite of hip-hop heads. They were incredibly influential and iconic, legendary. I mean, this is a New York City band of all New York City bands. 
And it's really rare for the Beasties to collaborate with anyone that is known. There, You don't see a lot of Beastie Boys featuring so-and-so. If you look at like a Drake album, any of these albums from, from modern quote-unquote rappers, every song features somebody else. You know, everyone is featuring each other. It's, it's the whole industry is so integrated as a way to sort of market itself to others. It's so rare to hear the Beastie Boys rap with someone who's not a Beastie Boy. And because like what Jordan said earlier of the synergy and the sort of relationship and, and how the band works together, it's not surprising they wouldn't bring someone else into that fold, right? Because it could ruin it. They could, it could ruin what they have together, but it really works. Not only because Q-Tip is one of the best rappers of all time, but just, I don't know if it's being, a, if it's a New York thing or I don't, I don't know how it works so well, but it just, it works perfectly. So do yourself a favor, listen to get it together. And then if you like Q-Tip's voice, which immediately Q-Tip's voice will stand out as different from the rest of the band, go listen to a bunch of Tribe Called Quest and come back and tell us what you thought. Love that song. It sounds like a Tribe Called Quest song. It Even does. the beat does, uh, which they're incredible. So it's a good thing. So I have bad news, Greg. I just realized that I did not pick an ill communication song. We okay. promised the listeners the first five albums. And I, I somehow skipped ill communication. I don't know what happened in the, in the research here. I will say that I would have chosen Root Down. So go Great listen song. to Root Down. It's a good song. That's the bad news. The good news is that I get to talk about a song from To the Five Burrows, which we would have not talked about if I hadn't have made this mistake. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise. This song features a verse from Mike D, which I think is, is maybe his best verse. It's at least one of his bests. It's a deep track on 2004's To the Five Burrows, and the song is called That's It, That's All. My zodiac sign is Scorpio. What I love about this song is it sounds like a Beasties song from the 80s, and it came out in 2004. It's old school. It sounds old. It has a classic sound. A lot of samples like the Beasties did in the 80s. And one of the hardest things in any art form, whether it be music, food, movies is creating something simple that's amazing think about like like hey jude it's one of the best songs ever made and it's like three or four chords and that's it well the simplicity of it is, is big part of what makes it beautiful and this song is kind of the same way you could almost remove all the samples all the sound effects and just keep that underlying drum beat that you just heard and this would still be an awesome song so we're not going to talk much about to the five burrows on this episode and we haven't but i think it's a great album that the beasties did a good job of holding that sound and kind of going back to their roots so give it a try if you haven't listened to it yeah agreed i i, I actually love that album and then to round us out here and finish off the playlist i chose remote control from 1998's hello nasty <laughs> I was obsessed with Hello Nasty. I mean, this I can't overestimate the impact this album had on me as a music listener. And this is like the peak of my back in the day. Music was great argument that everyone has, you know, which I don't buy into. But like, if I was 
sitting down and really talking about what are the what is the peak of popular music for me it's it's like 96 to 99 most of that is my age you know they say sort of your your music is like crystallized and like teenager up until like a year after college and so this fits within that but to me the re- what made hello nasty so special is this was the first beastie boys album that was mine and so like i mentioned before my older siblings listened to the beastie boys who didn't and you know in the late 80s if you're a child of the late 80s you had licensed ill on tape whether it was Paul's Boutique, whether it was you know any other album that came after that, those were all introduced to me by my older siblings. It was like Beastie Boys were their band. But when this album came out, and I remember hearing that this album was going to come out, and I remember seeing the Intergalactic video before the album was released, this was mine. I found out about it. I knew about it. And I just gobbled it up. This CD was also convenient because it was not a parental guidance CD, so I could go buy this CD normally rather than having to pay someone else to buy it for me because I was not allowed to have parental guidance CDs. It felt great to have a rap album that I purchased on my own that you know I didn't have to go around the rules to get. But I I love this album just sitting in my room, you know, 1998 listening to the CD, playing Nintendo 64 and PlayStation games like Zelda Ocarina, Time, GoldenEye, Ken Griffey Baseball, on PlayStation, Twisted Metal. God damn it, those games were fun. Game. And then Time Commando was one of my favorite games on PlayStation. It's just sitting there drinking cream sodas and listening to this album over and over and over again. Hello Nasty, GoldenEye, and Ken Griffey Jr. was the trifecta for the white mm-hmm. suburban kid. Yeah, If you grew up in the suburbs in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, you had at least one of these. Hello Nasty, you loved. You loved GoldenEye on N64 and or you loved Ken Griffey Jr. Maybe maybe put Michael Jordan in for Ken Griffey, kind of mm-hmm. Ken Griffey slash Michael Jordan, but yeah, absolutely. So that wraps up the playlist and that wraps up the episode. Thank you so much for spending time with us, listening to us talk about one of our favorite artists. You can, of course, listen to other episodes by finding us on Spotify. Go ahead and follow us. You'll get notified every time Jordan hits publish on one of these podcasts after he puts all that work in to edit it. So, you know, make that time worth it. Go ahead and just get that push notification. Be one of the first to listen to it. Also subscribe to us on iTunes uh, and leave us a review. Tell us how you think we're doing. If you think we're doing great, tell us we're doing great so our egos can get bigger. If you think that we suck, tell us that we suck and we should stop podcasting and we should go do something else. And our egos will deflate a little bit. And if we average in the middle, maybe two and a half stars, we'll have a good balance. But just give us the feedback. We want to get better. We enjoy doing this. We hope you do too. If you don't tell us, we'll get better. Thank you. See ya.